When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Nile Valley demands strong governance, and sometimes you have to think outside the box in order to find a true leader. Welcome to the History of Egypt podcast and Total War Pharaoh. Today, we meet the queen slash king, Ta-Usaret. Ta-Usaret, or Ta-Usaret, is an intriguing figure. Her rise to power around 1200 BCE had a strong impact on the political history of Egypt's royal house. Tausret is a shadowy figure, but fragmentary records and evidence allow us to tell the tale of a queen who became a king, and may even have been a warrior. As we continue our introduction to Total War Pharaoh, let us meet the powerful lady. In the long annals of pharaonic history, there were many queens of Egypt. We have abundant records for the royal wives as they were known, and from art, texts, and artifacts, we can discern their political influence, their important religious role, and their place in the social and political hierarchy. They acted as diplomats, communicating with foreign rulers and organizing affairs for the benefit of Egypt. And in times of crisis, they even took over management of the kingdom, acting as queen regents. This happened multiple times over the centuries, especially when the king was too young, like a child, or physically incapacitated and unable to rule. This happened multiple times over the centuries, and the queens of Egypt were certainly a powerful force in the social and political world of the Egyptian pharaohs. Although royal propaganda tends to focus on the king, archaeologists and scholars have a robust image of the queens and their potent influence. And yet, across 3,000 years, there are surprisingly few instances where a queen of Egypt took on the names and titles of a pharaoh. You've probably heard of Hatshepsut, who around 1480 BCE took command of the Egyptian government on behalf of her nephew or stepson, the young Tutmose III. And yet, after a few years, Hatshepsut began to present herself as the king of Egypt. In art and texts, she presented herself as a male ruler. She swapped her physical sex for a political and religious gender. And while, subsequently, Hatshepsut was deleted from the official royal record, her influence ran much deeper and further than you may expect. I have explored this in the History of Egypt podcast, but today we get a chance to meet one of these successors to Hatshepsut's example. Let us introduce the queen-slash-king, Ta-Usaret. Ta-Usaret first appears around 1200 BCE, approximately. She becomes visible as the king's great wife, or queen, of Pharaoh Seti II. Her name, Ta-Usaret, roughly translates as the powerful lady. 
or possibly the female Osiris, referencing the god who was king of the dead. However you translate it, it is an intriguing identity, and Tausaret would certainly live up to the epithet powerful. As the wife of Seti II, Tausaret may have been influential in that king's restoration to power. In previous episodes, we have told the story of how Seti II inherited the throne, only to be displaced temporarily by the usurper Amen Messi. Subsequently, Seti II was able to regain control, especially over the southern lands. Around the same time, we start to find monuments and references to Tausret. It seems that the Queen of Egypt had a strong influence in her husband's government. We don't know what role she had exactly, but she was certainly prominent in his reign. One of the best pieces of evidence for this influence is Tausret's tomb. You see, historically, queens of the New Kingdom, the late Bronze Age period in Egypt, had their tombs in a special valley. This valley is called the Valley of the Queens. But Tausaret did not build her tomb in the Valley of the Queens. Instead, hers is located in the Valley of the Kings. Sometime after her husband's restoration, work began on a tomb for Tausaret in the Valley of the Kings. This is an incredibly rare situation, and the fact that Tausaret got her own tomb in this valley suggests that she was one of the most powerful people in Seti's government. Clearly, she had more influence than your average queen, and enough power to buck recent traditions. So, during Seti's reign, Tausaret was already a prominent and influential figure. However, it was really after Seti II that Tausaret came into her own. Following Seti's death, about six years into his rule, Tausaret remained on the throne. She became the queen regent for a young prince slash pharaoh named Siptah. Siptah, or Siptah, does not appear in Total War Pharaoh. He was a young boy, at best, when he inherited power. And during his reign, it was Tausaret and another royal official that seems to have controlled the government. For six years, Sipetar served as the pharaoh and Tausaret as the queen regent. We have a few records testifying to their activities. For example, Sipetar and Tausaret oversaw the burial of an Apis bull, one of the sacred bulls who went to their tomb in the necropolis of Saqqara. Likewise, you can find traces of Sipetar and Tausaret at many archaeological sites throughout the country. The regime was accomplished, and apparently Tausaret had a strong handle on power. And yet, there was a complicating factor. Another royal official who held great sway. During the reign of Sipetar and the regency of Tausaret, we hear a lot more about Bai. Bai was a Canaanite or Syrian, at least a descendant of that group. And he had come to Egypt and risen through the ranks, eventually becoming a representative in the royal household. Subsequently, Bai may have played a role in the restoration of King Seti II. And following Seti's death, Bai had a strong influence on the government of Sipetar and Tausret. We will meet Bai properly in the next episode, but long story short, he appears during the government of Sipetar and Tausret, 
and he may have been a vital part of that regime. However, that did not last. Bai was influential for the first five years of Sipatar's reign. But then, things changed rather suddenly. In the fifth year of Sipatar's rule, we have an intriguing record. A text, identified in the late 1990s, describes events as follows. Quote, Year five of the king of Egypt, Sipatar, the third month of Shemu, the harvest season. Day 27. The scribe of the tomb, named Pasir, has announced to the community, Pharaoh has killed the great enemy, Bai. End quote. Now this is an intriguing event. For some reason, the government of Sipatar suddenly turned on the chancellor Bai. They executed the influential foreigner and did away with his power. Subsequently, the names and images of Bai were erased from all royal monuments. The figure of the official was hacked out wherever it could be found. Enough traces survive that archaeologists can identify Bai, but clearly the royal government turned on him with a vengeance. We may wonder, did Sipatar, the pharaoh, order this execution and vengeance? Or did the queen regent, Tauseret, orchestrate Bai's death? It's not clear on current evidence which royal leader was responsible. But one thing we do know is that shortly after Bai's death, it was Tauseret who suddenly gained in power. The killing of Bai took place in year 5 of King Sipatar, but in year 6, Sipatar himself passed away. Subsequently, Tauseret was left on the throne by herself, but this time she did not seek a prince to act as queen regent. Instead, Tauseret seized the ultimate power. Following the death of Sipatar, we begin to find references to King Tauseret. It seems that the former queen regent took on the identities of a pharaoh. She led the royal government and presented herself in art as a king. Like the reign of Hatshepsut more than 200 years before, Egypt once again had a female pharaoh. By 1190 BCE, give or take, Tausret had become the pharaoh of Egypt. She took on the standard names of a pharaoh, calling herself the Horus, victorious bull, beloved of Ma'at, and possessor of beauty as king, like the god Atum, the two ladies, one who has founded Egypt and subdued the foreign countries, the king of southern and northern Egypt, the daughter of Ra, beloved of Amun, or mistress of Tameri, Egypt, the son of Ra, the powerful one, Tausaret, beloved of the goddess Mut, and chosen by Mut. These are classic names that would fit within the canon of any pharaoh. Notably, Tausaret calls herself one who has established or founded Egypt, and subdued the foreign countries. Like her late husband, Tausaret took on the identity of a builder and a warrior. And there may be more history to this than you would expect. More on that in a moment. Tausaret's names and titles as pharaoh are strong, but traditional. They invoke a variety of deities to give her power and enhance her splendor. Notably though, Tausaret makes no secret of her physical sex. She calls herself the daughter of Ra, 
and the mistress or ruling lady of Egypt. Apparently, she did not feel the need to conceal this physical identity. Tausaret was able to rule as a woman, although acting in the role of a king. That's a strong contrast with the example of Hatshepsut, who often had to present herself as a male ruler. Perhaps, by the time of Queen Tausaret, expectations around the kingship had changed somewhat. Or perhaps Tausaret was radical and unafraid to push the boundaries. We can only speculate about what exactly was happening, but it's an intriguing element of her public identity. Tausret's willingness to appear as a woman, and her references to subduing the enemies of Egypt, might connect meaningfully with a curious artifact. In the Valley of the Kings, archaeologists found an ostraca. This is a piece of stone or pottery, inscribed with writing and drawings. This particular ostraca is now in the Cairo Museum, and it's interesting because of the images. The piece of stone has a painting on it. Somebody has sketched out a little image, kind of like a cartoon. The image shows a pair of chariots riding towards one another, as if in the midst of battle. The artist has drawn one chariot in black ink and the other one in red, emphasising the contrast between them. What's interesting is that the chariot on the left is being ridden by a woman. A female figure with long hair, a dress slash robe, and a type of crown specific to Egyptian queens appears on the left. She is raising a bow and firing arrows into the air. These arrows fly ahead of her chariot, and it seems like she is racing forward in an aggressive attack. On the other side, the other chariot is charging towards her, also firing arrows. Unfortunately, the piece of stone is broken at this particular point, so we can't see who the other figure is in the chariot. There are a few details that I'll come back to in a second, but the other figure appears to be charging headlong at this queen, and the two are exchanging volleys. Now, nothing about this ostracon confirms that it references Tausret, but the style of drawing is consistent with the 19th dynasty, around 1200 BCE. And, of all the queens that we know about from that time, only Tausret could possibly fit this figure. Unless the drawing is a total fantasy, which is entirely possible, this might be a depiction of Tausret involved in a battle. If that is accurate, it is a rare image of a female ruler in ancient Egypt getting involved in war. There were other queens earlier in history that may have done so, but this is the most explicit image we have for a royal woman going into battle. Given what we know about Tausret, her willingness to appear as a woman, and her references to conquering in her royal identity, this might be an image of the powerful lady. I suspect this ostraca is one of the key influences for Tausret as she appears in Total War Pharaoh. As the game opens, the queen herself is accompanied by a bodyguard, and they ride chariots, firing bows at the enemy. And of all the Egyptian factions, it is Tausret that fields the strongest, best-equipped chariots. So Creative Assembly have clearly taken a point of inspiration from this little ostracon. It's an excellent choice. Although we cannot say with certainty that the image depicts Tausret, it is a great foundation to build the character in-game. So, Tausret may have gone into battle. Or at least, 
other people may have imagined her doing so. But that begs the question, who was she fighting? If Taosret came to power as a queen, and then stepped politically into the role of pharaoh, what opportunity would she have to be in a chariot battle? This next section is entirely speculative on my part, but it is based on that ostracon. Earlier, when describing the scene, I mentioned that the other figure, whom the queen is fighting, is lost. But there are a couple of clues. The surviving traces on the edge of this ostracon seem to be those of a male. The figure is wearing a short kilt around the waist, rather than the long robe or dress of the queen. The person also has a scarf. A long pennant seems to hang down over their back and shoulders. Now, the scarf is often a feature of a royal male costume. So there's a decent chance that this other charioteer is a male king, somebody whom Tausret is fighting. If we let our imagination run wild, just for a moment, perhaps this ostracon depicts the civil war that might have occurred at the end of Tausret's reign. Oh, sorry, did I forget to mention that? Yeah. Taosret may have been deposed in a war. Was the Sphinx 10,000 years old? Were there serial killers in ancient Greece and Rome? What were the lives of transgender, intersex, and non-binary people like in the ancient world? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. We tell you true stories and tall tales of the ancient world. Sometimes we do it tipsy. Sometimes we have amazing guests on our show. Historians like Barry Strauss, podcasters like Liv Albert, Mike Duncan, and authors like Joanne Harris and Ben Aronovich. We take you to the top of Hadrian's Wall to watch the Roman Empire fall at the end of the world. We walk the catacombs beneath the Temple of the Feathered Serpent under Teotihuacan. We walk the sacred spirals of the Nazca Lines in search of ancient secrets. And we explore mythology from ancient cultures around the world. Come find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Tausret reigned as pharaoh for at least two years. In that time, she constructed monuments like her royal tomb and a special memorial temple on the west bank of the Nile. But then, in her second or third year of power, Tausret was challenged for the throne, and she seems to have been defeated in a civil war. Our evidence for this comes from the next ruler of Egypt, a man called Seth Nacht. We have already met Sethnacht in our episode about Ramesses III. Well, when he took power, Sethnacht described Egypt as being in a state of chaos, and claimed that he had violently overthrown those who were causing the problem. Working backwards, there's a decent chance that Sethnacht launched a rebellion against Tausret, and eventually he defeated the queen and removed her from power. Sethnark's motivations for rebelling against Tausret are a little bit unclear. He may have done so when King Sipatar died and Tausret declared herself pharaoh. Then again, Sethnark may have had different motivations. In the texts that describe the civil war, Sethnark indicates that Egypt had fallen under the sway of foreigners, and he presented himself 
as a liberator from these outside forces. Sethnacht said, quote, His person, Sethnacht, flexed his arms to rid Egypt of those who had led it astray. Fear of Sethnacht has seized the hearts of opponents. They even left silver and gold that were in the Nile Valley, which they had given to the Easterners in order to bring reinforcements as leaders of the Nile. But their plans failed, and they were futile. End quote. If Sethnacht did rebel against Tausret, he seems to have justified it as a rebellion against outsiders. There may be some legitimacy to that claim, which I'll discuss in a moment. But at the very least, Sethnacht presented his rebellion in classic pharaonic terms. The Egyptian pharaohs always had a strong xenophobic streak in their royal propaganda. Egypt and its people were the good land. Everybody else were chaotic outsiders. So we should take Sethnacht's words with a hefty grain of salt. But if there is any truth to them, that might have been a reason for his rebellion. Another text, written a few years later, added some additional colour to the situation. It said, quote, The land abroad that belonged to Egypt was abandoned, and every man was loyal only to himself. Another foreigner happened after him in the empty years, when Irsu, a Syrian that was with them, acted as chief, and he made the entire land serviceable to him. End quote. This text is even more propagandistic, and we can't trust it as a strict historical source. But there are some interesting details here. You may have noticed the reference to Irsu, a Syrian, who caused havoc in Canaan and may have plundered the land. We'll come back to him very soon. What's important about this text is that it maybe confirms the earlier description of Egypt's rulers gathering and paying foreigners to act as their armed forces. In other words, Sethnacht and his descendants may have accused Taosret and her regime of conspiring with outsiders. So the rebellion against Taosret may have been motivated by external influences. Sethnacht, on a xenophobic tangent, decided to rebel against these foreign officials, and to do so, he deposed the pharaoh Taosret. That interpretation is tentative at best. The historical sources are fragmentary, and we are missing a lot of context and detail. That being said, we may have the makings of a story. Suppose that Ostracon that shows a queen fighting against a king depicts Tausret versus Sethnacht. And suppose the regime of Tausret did involve several foreigners. People like the Chancellor Bai, who had served Tausret, Sipatar, and Seti II for many years. Tausret had executed Bai, maybe, but there could have been others. And perhaps Tausret had made deals with outside leaders, people like Irsu in Canaan and Syria. Tausret may have recruited foreigners to be her mercenaries. If that is accurate, it may have been a cause for Sethnacht to rebel. Again, totally speculative, based on the tiny fragments of evidence. But it's a dramatic picture, and it's an excellent setup for Total War Pharaoh. Taking command of Tausret's factions, you begin in southern Egypt. Your forces are well equipped, with swift chariots that can fire arrows and javelins upon your foe. 
Your consort, Seti II, rules lands to the north, and you may cooperate to unify the kingdom under your two banners. But there are significant threats waiting in the wings. Amen Messi in the south has the potential to be a usurper. And in the northwest and northeast, two powerful figures pose a specific threat to you. If you take command of Tausret's factions, make sure to destroy the royal official Seth Nacht and his son Ramesses. If you should ignore them, they could become a very powerful headache. You are not alone in your quest for power. You might also make deals with the Canaanites, the Chancellor Bai in modern Lebanon, and Irsu up in Syria could be valuable assets to help you gain the throne. Of course, their influence comes with many costs, but if you are able to manipulate them to your service, you may establish a mighty Nile kingdom. Historically, the Queen King Tausret may have been deposed in a civil war. Perhaps you will do better. If nothing else, it is an excellent motivation. Take revenge on those who would deny your claim. Use every resource at your disposal and ride forth unleashing arrows and devastation. Perhaps you can surpass the achievements of King Tausret, she who is powerful. Before I go, there is one last interesting detail about Tausret. It concerns her legacy and her legend. You see, according to later Greek writers, Tausret may have been the pharaoh that ruled Egypt at the time of the Trojan War. In the early 3rd century BCE, approximately 900 years after Tausret, an Egyptian priest slash historian named Manetho wrote a history of the Nile Valley rulers. Manetho's works do not survive today except in quotations and references from later authors, and Manetho's history was deeply undermined by the fragmentary nature of the ancient records and the old pharaoh's willingness to change history according to their religious and political needs. Manetho's works, as quoted by later authors, do provide a basic template that modern historians can use to understand how the Egyptian pharaohs were remembered in later generations. In the case of Tausret, we have an interesting quote. Manetho did not realize that Tausret was a female, but he got the name roughly correct, calling her Thuoris. And describing this period, Manetho referenced, quote, Thuoris, who in Homer is called Polybus, and in whose time Troy was taken. They reigned for seven years. End quote. Manetho's dates, seven years, would roughly match Tausret's period of queen regency for Sipitar and her own independent rule added together. But of course, the interesting feature is that he says, in the reign of this king, Troy was taken. Now, the historicity of the Trojan War is a massive subject, one that has been studied, restudied, debated, and redebated for centuries. But at least during the time of Manetho, when the idea of the Trojan War was accepted as true history, the pharaoh Thuoris was remembered as the monarch who ruled Egypt when the city of Troy finally fell. And based on the context in which Manetho references this ruler, it seems to be Tausret. So if you are in the mood to combine history and mythology to place the Trojan War in a specific historical period, 
Tausret may have been the ruler governing Egypt at the time. It's a fun coincidence, given that A Total War Saga Troy was released just a couple years ago. Maybe, if we're lucky, we could get the two games combined in a kind of immortal empire situation. Please, Creative Assembly, make it happen for the will of the gods and the legacy of Tausret. Oh dang, can you imagine Tausret versus Odysseus? That would be sick. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate background, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic, and then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. <laughs> Stretch opportunity? What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs>